We love our pets, but when the floor is covered in fur, that's harder to love. Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has powerful 8,000 PA suction to make hair vanish from floors in just one pass. Plus, the roller brush has automatic detangling for easy hands-free maintenance. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. Hello and welcome to The Deal Room, where every week we talk specifically about all things corporate finance, from the biggest M&A and PE deals to the strategy that drives business decision making. We aim to bring what you learn in the classroom to life with real world examples and hopefully at the same time have some fun with it. So let's dive in. Welcome back to The Deal Room, and we have three companies we're going to talk about, three stories, in fact, that have been in the press, three that you should have heard of, actually, but maybe the first one, not so much in terms of the parent company, Ama Sports, but they're tied to a very large IPO announcement that's come out this week, and probably you're more familiar with brands like Wilson Sports, for example, which is one of the brands they own. But we're also going to talk about Macy's Private Equity They've received and rejected a bid. And Spirit Airlines as well, their shares extended um, a rebound after it appealed a ruling blocking their JetBlue merger. So kind of the the binding subject matter here is the concept of debt. So paying down debt, financing deals with debt, or you're about to go out of business kind of bad debt. So Stephen, which one would you like to, to dive into first? Yeah, thanks, Ant. Uh, Yeah, so you're absolutely right. All three of these stories revolve around companies that have significant debt burdens. And each of these three stories, an IPO story, a potential acquisition story, and a blocked merger story, they're all different strategies, in essence, to deal with a particularly large debt burden. So why don't we start with the story that's most likely to go well over the next two, three, five years. So let's go Armour Sports and the IPO. Okay, cool. Take it. Take us away then with the the headlines then. So, so who is who are Armour Sports? Yeah, so Armour Sports is a originally Finnish sportswear company. You've listed some of the brands, Wilson and Solomon, and uh, they've been growing relatively quickly. They were acquired in 2019 
by a Chinese company, Anta Sports. Have you ever heard of Anta Sports? Um, Personally, no. <laughs> you know what? It's the biggest sportswear brand in the world by revenues. Okay. <laughs> and it's, yeah, yeah, exactly. And it started life making, stitching the trainers for Nike and Adidas. And it's grown a life of its own and it's become one of the biggest companies or the biggest retailers in China. And it had the financial firepower back in 2019 to go out and acquire this relatively high-end uh, retailer with a combination of high-quality out, outerwear, sportswear, tennis rackets, ski wear type, uh, type clothing and type of equipment. So they, they bought this company back in 2019 and they financed the acquisition, the $5.6 billion acquisition in 2019. They financed it with a $1.3 billion loan. That was part of the financing package. Now, interestingly, that $1.3 billion loan becomes due, refinanceable, needs to be paid back in March. So if you are the CEO and if you're the board of directors uh, working for Anta Sports, you know, and thinking about their portfolio company, uh, Armour, you're thinking, all right, how do I refinance this debt? The company's already got, well, it's got about 5 billion of debt already. So it's pretty heavily leveraged. So, you know, refinance, refinancing that debt with more debt, is that a sensible thing to do? Uh, you know, the debt to equity ratio is quite high. The debt to uh, EBITDA ratio is relatively high. Or do you try to replace that tranche, that chunk of equity, uh, that chunk of debt with equity? And obviously, one of the ways that you can do that is by undertaking an initial public offering. Now, in this case, the initial public offering that is due to take place at some point in the first quarter of this year, the prospectus has been launched. There's a lot of press about it. We're starting to understand the pricing range for this IPO. It's gonna it's gonna raise between one and a half and one point eight billion dollars, and it is going to be a US IPO. Now that's important, just from the perspective of this being effectively a Chinese-owned company. And now, in the last few years, we haven't seen a great deal of examples of massive success when it comes to Chinese IPOs on U.S. markets. So this is a really interesting one. There's a lot of different angles that we can explore here. Yeah, I was just thinking, like, what type of size are we talking then for the valuation of this company, and then? We always talk about then the what do we think heading in? Is that a valuation that's appropriate? I don't know if you have any detail on the kind of market size we're talking about here. Yeah, it's really interesting. I love looking at the prospectus because the first few pages of a prospectus, and you can really easily find out and look up any prospectus uh, for a company about to go public. The first few pages are basically the sales pitch. So what uh, what this company wants you to focus on, what Armour wants you to focus on is, uh, let's just have a look at, I mean, there's some brilliant photos of uh, people who holding Wilson tennis rackets and things like that. But they want you to focus on uh, 70,000 NFL touchdowns scored with Wilson football, 643 Grand Slam titles using Wilson rackets. And then from a financial perspective, 20% revenue compound annual growth rate to get to about $3.5 billion of revenue 
products sold in over 100 countries, 30% direct to consumer revenue in 2022, which tends to be higher margin. So it wants to tell, this is the story that it wants to tell. This is fast growth, 20% compound annual growth rate. You've got um, very, very fast growth in China, which is now 20% of all sales. Gross margin, it's about 50%, which is very high for this industry. However, what the normal analyst would look at is, okay, let's look a little bit deeper. Let's have a look at its financials. So although it looked like having an adjusted EBITDA of 450 million in 2022, whenever I hear the phrase adjusted EBITDA, I start thinking we work <laughs> community adjusted EBITDA, which was, uh, which, which was total rubbish. Um, but that translated into a $253 million net loss in 2022. It's got $5.8 billion of debt. So if you think about that from a leverage perspective, often what we do when we're thinking about these types of transactions, especially private equity-like transactions, is we look at what's called leverage and coverage ratios. So leverage ratio is your debt to EBITDA, and this is $5.8 billion of debt on $450 million of EBITDA, so over 10 times. That's a highly levered transaction. Its operating profit of 50 million doesn't cover its $233 million of net financing costs. Think about that. So its financing costs are basically turning them from being in the black to being in the red. So when I'm thinking about this IPO, and it's likely that this IPO will be, you know, a $10 billion valuation, something like that. I'm thinking, well, positives, that's three and a half billion of revenue with a CAGR of 20% in over 100 countries with some brilliant brands, the headwinds for me, even if you pay down $1.3 billion of debt, you're still left with over $4 billion of debt, a lot of financing costs. So this is not going to be a low-levered company when it IPOs in a couple of months' time. So yeah, it's a really interesting to kind of look behind the story and try and figure out what's actually going on. Yeah, it feels like they've engineered a, a, a quite a powerful marketing pack here. But I, I believe that they've they've spread their net pretty wide here in terms of the advisors they've got working on this transaction. So I'm assuming that that's quite common, though, given the size of the deal we're talking about. Yeah, so this is a big IPO. So they're you know they're trying to raise one and a half plus billion dollars. And just to put that into context, Chinese companies uh, have only raised about a billion dollars in IPO proceeds in 2021 and 2022 in US markets. So this really is a kind of coming out from the cold IPO and a little bit a little bit like Arm was a coming out from the cold IPO uh, when the IPO markets were starting to revive a few months ago and we covered that story extensively. So in order to make sure that this IPO gets away and is appropriately marketed, appropriately underwritten, they've got a consortium of basically who's who uh, in terms of <laughs> in terms of underwriting banks the lead banks on the transaction Goldman Sachs, uh, Goldman Sachs Bank of America JP Morgan Morgan Stanley Citigroup UBS and then in smaller font I love how they do the hierarchy based on font size in the prospectus <laughs> you've got <laughs> you've got a whole host you've got everything from uh, Evercore ISI institutional services PD Cowan, Wells Fargo, Deutsche Bank, HSBC, 
Drexel, Hamilton, Ramirez and Co. So covering different at BNP Paribas, covering different regions, different sources of capital in order to build the book, in order to get this IPO away. So they're covering their bases. They're, it's, you know, it's a, it's a kind of belt and braces approach. And we'll wait and see. I'm not sure on this one. I don't know. The big concern in the IPO market over the last few months has been post-trading, you know, post-IPO. There's often been a reaction to the positive side on the first few days. But as we've covered, after a couple of months, significant discount to initial uh, IPO price. So, you know, is the IPO market continuing to revive? This will be a really good signal a as to whether it's going to revive and b whether a effectively a chinese owned company can get an ipo away and if they can get an ipo away maybe bike dance sheen and financial all of these big chinese companies that have been desperate to ipo in the states because a lot of their investor base is in the states you know maybe they'll come and you know have a think about it i, I also wonder whether given that it's looking like a Trump-Biden runoff with the clock ticking now, we've got 10 months, whether or not you'll see a bit of an accelerated scheduling of Chinese companies looking to get that in before Trump comes back. <laughs> oh, gosh, I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, well, maybe. Well, maybe. I don't know. You know, there seems to be a little bit of a thawing in terms of the relationship and a little bit of uh, China realizing that they're economic and demographic problems are not insignificant and maybe it would be good to once again you know have a good trading relationship with the still biggest economy in the world so yeah maybe this first six months might you know see the see the return to a, a you know a bit more of normal service resumes yeah and then probably not perfect timing was the the broader sector outlook the other part i was reading about was nike shares getting a bit of a pounding recently and that coming after um, they've announced two billion dollars in cost cuts slowing demand in china and europe well china have done their best to come out and turn that tide they came out this very morning and said we're going to throw over 250 billion dollars at the economy essentially to prop it up in various forms of stimulus so very common i guess when we struggle we've seen those struggles develop in, in china but yeah the the sporting goods industry overall has seen a bit of a struggle recently yeah and if we go back to our economics textbooks we think okay common logic suggests that the effects of interest rate hikes don't get seen by the real economy until 18 to 24 months after the hiking cycle which is about now and also these types of products can i mean they're they're called consumer discretionary they're discretionary spend they're not mandatory so if i'm now starting to feel you know, feel my purse tighten a little bit. I'm probably not going to be going out and buying that new tennis racket or those those new trainers. Okay. Well, then let let's move on and let's let's talk about a name I think everyone's heard of, and some prized real estate in Manhattan, and that's Macy's. So why was Macy's in the press this week? Yeah, this is a really good story and it's getting better by the day. So we might end up having to cover this over the next few pods as well. So I came out with Macy's rejects takeover offer, $5.8 billion takeover offer. Came out with that on the deal of the week on Monday. And that's, you know, to sum up the deal, two private equity firms, Arc House Management and Brigade Capital. By the way, Arc House Management are more focused on real estate and it's important offer $21 a share, 
for Macy's, a 20% premium to last Friday's uh, closing price, totaling $5.8 billion. Now, the Macy's board of directors rejected it flat out. They said, nope, you're not even going to come into our data room. You're not even going to, we're not going to give you a non-disclosure agreement. You can't get into the nitty gritty of the company because A, we don't think that 5.8 billion appropriately values this amazing legacy company with 722 locations it's 165 years old it's got the biggest store in the world on broadway etc cetera, etc cetera. but also there was rumblings that the macy's board didn't know or did or, or weren't sure where the financing package was coming from so this is the development over the last couple of days so obviously when you put together a bid you need a degree of certainty as to how you're going to finance that bid. It doesn't have to be signed, sealed and delivered, but there needs to be significant letters of intent, either from co-investors that want to get in on the equity slice or debt, you know, or, or, or lenders, both bank and, uh, and mezzanine lenders and things like that. So Macy's obviously thought, look, Arkhouse and to a lesser extent, Brigade have not got their ducks in a row. So we're just going to, we're just going to kind of push this deal away. Now, the, uh, the article that I was reading this morning, this is Arkhouse coming out swinging. So Gabrielle Kahain, the managing partner at Arkhouse, said, our investor group has multiples of the enterprise value in readily available funds to complete the transaction. I come on, Macy's, like open yourself up. We've got the money. We've got a you know we've got a letter of intent from Jeffries, the bank, to help you know to to shore up the financing package. What they're actually doing, which is quite an interesting strategy, is they're kind of they're making a big song and dance about this in order to whip the shareholders of Macy's into a frenzy and say management of Macy's, look, you know this is quite a decent premium to. The closing share price at least entertain the offer it's your fiduciary duty to entertain the offer couldn't quite equally on the same idea macy's are just playing the game of which at first contact you you just bat it off straight away to tempt in a better offer because now that arc house have come out and said that i'd be like well okay then you know where i stand <laughs> then come back with an improved offer and then maybe I'll open the book to you. It's so interesting. <laughs> You're absolutely right. This could be kind of negotiation 101, bat it back, come back with a better offer. And there are two ways of viewing the Macy's deal. One of which you might think actually 5.8 billion is really undervaluing the company. And the other is, my gosh, why would you pay 5.8 billion for this? And the former is all about real estate. So it's estimated that the real estate portfolio of Macy's alone is worth at least 8.5 billion. Yes, it's got $3 billion of debt and $3 billion of capital lease obligations. So it's got, it's, again, very heavily indebted, but its asset base is so strong. You know, is this an opportunity? Remember, Arkhouse is a real estate focused investor. Is this an opportunity to go, Let's split Macy's out from the real estate portfolio. Let's focus the real estate portfolio on earning a real estate-like return. 
you know they've got some pretty prime real estate in manhattan alone and then let's let the macy's brand slowly drift off <laughs> into the pastures this sounds like a little bit like the original wall street film it's like you're gonna it's come brilliant. in you're gonna wreck the business you're gonna strip well, it down and if you've got generational shareholders which i'm sure there are from the original founding members my granddad founded my great-granddad founded mount macy's i'm on the board and then you the nature of arc house and where they are coming from it's fairly clear yeah they're gonna i mean they will take the real estate and and probably let macy's macy's die that that's the expectation but there are some sobering lessons and mm -hmm. macy's is not a particularly <laughs> attractive company from a profit margin perspective you know, its revenues declined year on year for the last five years it's relatively heavily indebted its operating profit margins are under two percent it's in a a structurally declining industry now two two comparables that's worth thinking about especially if you're on the board at macy's nordstrom and sears so Nordstrom, both US retailers, Nordstrom rejected a buyout offer in 2018 at $50 a share, which was below the trading price at the time. So think about that. Usually you have to offer a premium. The stock is now trading at less than $20 because this industry is in structural decline. The bigger shocker was Sears. I don't know if you remember this story filed for bankruptcy in 2018, listing $6.9 billion of assets and $11.3 billion of liabilities. That was a surefire way of going bankrupt. But this was, this was a classic story of the once biggest retailer in the world collapsing under the weight of its debt, under the weight of its uh, attempts to compete with Amazon, actually ended up spinning off a real estate portfolio and turning it into a real estate investment trust, which is still around. So that's the only thing that still exists. Whilst the rest of the business, I was just reading, it says, <laughs> Sears cut the hour, the hours pay and headcounts of retail staff to save cash, causing stores and customers to experience, uh, experience to deteriorate. We have a 17 year old running the office and cash office, one employer told Business Insider. <laughs> so it's just like, all right, I'm just going to strip this thing down. This thing is dying and I'm going to let it crash. Hey, don't judge that poor person by their age. Maybe they're just a superstar employee, 17. Let's give them the manager badge. I don't know if you've seen any photos of the Sears stores in 2018. It looked like Armageddon. It looked like a kind of zombie <laughs> apocalypse. It was horrible. So maybe the 17 year old <laughs> didn't do too well. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, naively, I do see Macy's, the store, the brand and what they offer is yeah, in terminal decline. I can't see how that has longevity. So it's kind of like the stubbornness, I'm sure, of such a iconic franchise to then sell out, which probably they need to tap out at some point in the near future. So, yeah, interesting. My Maybe I can do a 2024 prediction. Macy's first meme stock of 2024. Yeah. You never know. Could, it could happen. There's not enough short sellers there. It's not quite the same structure, but it's a similar profile to some of those uh, meme stocks back in 2021. Unloved by the market, trading at deep discounts to tangible book value, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe it won't happen. Okay. Anything else to add on that? Or should we go on to JetBlue and, and Spirit? Let's move on. Okay. So... 
what do we have here? I mean, people in the States would be very familiar with these names. So are, are they at risk of losing one? <laughs> so the headline that I want to talk about today, US federal judge blocked JetBlue from $3.8 billion Spirit Airlines takeover. Now, this deal between, I think, the sixth and the seventh largest carriers in the US, so controlling about 8% market share between them, this deal was announced in July 2022 and it had the antitrust legislators uh, or antitrust judges all over it. Now, the reason why antitrust gets so excited or so into these types of acquisitions and these types of markets is not necessarily because there is a there's some form of you know deep anti-competitive element from a market dynamics perspective but in this kind of market it's all about the consumer so if antitrust legislators regulators can make a strong argument that consumers would likely be harmed from an acquisition of this nature and because it is a business to consumer business it's quite easy to make that as opposed to a b2b to c or a b2b business so they were looking they were sniffing all over this and the announcement that this deal was blocked came out last week and william young who was the guy that blocked it the dis the us district judge in boston uh, he was relatively uh, evangelical in the way that he described the block. Uh, he was said he said that the merger does violence to the core principle of antitrust law to protect the U.S. markets and its participants from anti-competitive harm. Now, Spirit is a small airline, but there are those of you who love it. So, those dedicated customers of Spirit, this one is for you. So you imagine <laughs> him on his little soapbox. This moment in the sun. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's an interesting one. So they blocked the deal, you know, and we've spoken a lot in in the last six months about about antitrust and actually about a lot of failed attempts to to uh, to block deals. So this one's gone through, or it looks like it's going to be blocked. So blocked. What does that mean financially for for Spirit? Yeah, yeah. So uh, on the announcement that the deal was blocked, the share shares in Spirit halved and JetBlue stock rose 6% despite having to pay $470 million of deal breakage fees. <laughs> so the investors in the shareholders of JetBlue did not like this deal, hence the stock going up 6%. But it's Spirit that I really want to talk about. So Spirit really struggling airline, probably not big enough, probably not well enough managed to exist necessarily as a going concern. Its shares, as I said, halved. The offer was 3.8 billion back in July of 2022. The market capitalization of Spirit now is only 920 million. Wow. <laughs> Hence how disappointed the shareholders were when they realized that this thing was going to get blocked. And Spirit's been struggling financially for the last few years had a $534 million net loss in the trailing 12 months from the last quarter. Operating income, minus $171 million. And it's got $5.6 billion of debt, giving it a debt to equity ratio of over 500%. Now, even if you're listening and you don't, you don't quite understand all of these ratios, 
<laughs> what we're saying here is this company has been capitalized far more by debt than it is by equity, which is dangerous. And its liabilities are getting extremely close to matching and then surpassing its assets, which is a surefire sign of a company that is thinking about contemplating bankruptcy. So this JetBlue acquisition was the lifeline, was the lifeline for the shareholders and for the company that has just been pulled away from them by the antitrust federal judges. Now, legally, the, the, let's say JetBlue, they can't return to this now? Are they, do there need to be like a cooling off period? Could someone else come in? Because presumably there's some value in, I don't know, the physical assets, the licensing or routes that, that Spirit has. Could someone come in and is this more of a systemic issue for the airline sector? So further consolidation is going to happen and therefore some other player will come in and, and get just a better price for Spirit. It's really interesting. There are, there's a few other examples of uh, potential US airline tie-ups not going through, either because of antitrust or because of the expectation of antitrust. So even though this is a market where the big four carriers, American, United, Southwest, and Delta, have 80% market share, there's still... You would have thought maybe if you could just get another player to make four becomes five and the market becomes a bit more competitive, maybe a consolidation of the smaller players actually might be a good thing for the market. But obviously the antitrust uh, regulators have said, look, this is, this, is, this is not going to happen. And the expectation is that Spirit, if, I mean, JetBlue and Spirit are appealing this decision, but if this sticks, and the deal doesn't go through, the expectation is that Spirit will probably announce, well, may well announce Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And in that situation, you restructure your debt, um, you pay back initial creditors, you, you kind of come out of the traps slightly leaner and meaner and ready to go. I, I feel like how you've concluded that is building the appeal case as to why <laughs> this should be appealed. I mean, surely you need it for consumers, like the spirit person has said. Yeah, it's so interesting. So there are certain things that you think, gosh, that, that tie-up is definitely likely to be anti-competitive and not good for the consumer. But if I'm a consumer or I'm a shareholder in spirit, and you know, there'll be plenty of pension funds and pensioners that indirectly own shares in spirit, and I'm thinking, you've just been tossed a lifeline to keep this company afloat, and maybe spirit had that crucial regional connection that I use for my weekly commute, you're blocking the deal because you think it's anti-competitive and not good for the consumer. Well, I tell you what's not good for the consumer, spirit not going to be not being there in a few months time so it's a really interesting one there's so much more depth here than than we can cover on this podcast but the but the high level just raises more questions about this concept of antitrust and when it is appropriate and when it is enforceable and when it actually benefits the wider ecosystem that we all operate in cool all right thank you Stephen. we'll, we'll wrap it up there i will grab that uh, prospectus for the IPO off you uh, and I'll look to share it with the community I think it'll be a really interesting thing for people to to see because we often talk a lot about 
and I'm constructing these kind of pitch books and these decks uh, is super important for uh, many different roles within investment banking. So I'll look to share that as well. But thank you, Stephen. Thank you everyone for listening. And don't forget always to follow, hit that subscribe, depending on what platform you listen to for the podcast, and then click the bell icon to be notified when the new episodes drop. But uh, take care, Stephen, and catch you next week. Thanks, Ant. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.